beautiful. It's got my mind on you. And everywhere I turn is a reminder. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible. <laughs> Welcome to this Bible lesson. Who is Jesus Christ? At Barah Ministries, we know this truth: that Jesus Christ is God. In Matthew chapter twenty-five, verses thirty-one to thirty-four, Jesus ends the tribulation period. That's seven years immediately following the church age, which is described in the Bible as the worst period of all time. With his second coming, Satan tries to kill all the Jews again. And just when he's about to be successful, the Lord comes to rescue the Jews at his second coming to save his chosen race of people and his chosen nation. Matthew chapter 25 verses 31 to 34 say this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels come with him, and we know that the Son of Man is talking about Jesus in his earthly ministry. So when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels come with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne on earth, the 1,000-year millennial reign of Christ. This is when Satan is deposed as the ruler of this world. Matthew chapter 25, verse 32, Before him will be gathered all the Gentile nations, and the Son of Man will separate individual people in the Gentile nations, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Matthew twenty-five thirty-three, And the Son of Man will place the sheep, and that's believers in Christ, on his right, and the goats, unbelievers, on his left. Matthew twenty-five thirty-four. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are the blessed ones, blessed by my Father, and inherit the millennial kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Only a righteous God could accomplish such an amazing feat. The Bible refers to Jesus in many ways. He is the Messiah. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the great I Am. He is the sovereign God of the universe, and nothing in the universe happens without his permission. He is the Son of God to the church. He is the Son of Man to Israel. And it's a pleasure and a blessing to worship the one and only true God. Now, why does Barah Ministries exist? At Barah Ministries, we make a difference by teaching the Word of God verse by verse from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. I was talking to some friends this week, and they were talking, they were using that expression that I absolutely hate, Christ-like. 
and they were talking about how they have this group and they're all talking about how to be Christ-like. And so, you know, of course, the top comes off to my head and, you know, the, the message is we're never going to be Christ-like. The creator and the creature, the creature is never going to be Christ-like. You're never going to be like the creator. Well, they say, well, why is it everywhere? Why is this all over the place? Ah, I, I got it. I wonder if it's because the Lord has an enemy. And I wonder if the, Lord, the Lord's enemy spreads propaganda that he gets believers in Christ to believe. And then it dawned on me, and of course, it only takes, what, 57 years in Christianity for it to dawn on me. Who was the one who wanted to be Christ-like? Satan. Isaiah fourteen fourteen. I will make myself like the Most High God. He was the one who wanted to be Christ-like, and he'd like anybody to join him in that idiocy. So that's the benefit of looking at things from God's perspective and not looking at things from man's perspective. Well, Barah Ministries exists for the benefit of Christians, those of us who have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord through the study of his word. Now, why do we study the word of God? Because we believe what the Lord says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, the wild grass withers and the wild flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. The things you learn in the word of God that are implanted into your soul are things, are treasures that you take with you forever. They're irrevocable. That's easy for me to say. They're irrevocable and nobody can ever take them away from you. Our families teach us beliefs, and we willingly adopt them as if they are the truth. I don't know what your family taught you, but most of the things I was taught by my family did not stand up to scrutiny when they were compared to what God has to say about life and his word. For example, my mom always told me, you know, if you work hard, you'll get ahead. Now, my mom was one of the hardest workers I've ever seen. I never saw her get ahead. And so my conclusion is, if you work hard, you get tired. And there's nothing wrong with working hard, but you don't get ahead just because you work hard. And I I can't tell you how many people I see in my consulting practice who do a good job for their company and who think that just because they're doing a good job for their company, they're going to get promoted. Doing a good job for your company is what you get hired for. And that's something that's expected. How you get promoted is being recognized by the right people within your company. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And people, I swear, if you tell them that, it just fries their brain. And and people do not want to accept that simple but true fact. And it only took me 13 years and two firings to figure it out. So if you guys are a little slow with it, I certainly understand. So, you know, our families teach us these beliefs, and we hold on dearly to these traditions instilled by our families. We hold on, hold many of these lies that our families tell us as sacred, and instead we need to look at the evidence. Do these beliefs make sense in light of what you learn by studying the Word of God? I remember my mom would always ask me, where did you get all these ideas that you have? I said, well, first of all, you, told, you taught me to as- aspire. But the second thing is, just look in the Bible. You were the one who gave me my first Bible. I actually thought you wanted me to read it and live, live what it says. 
You know, and so it's just so funny. It's just funny. So the Bible teaches us the absolute truth. T-R-O-O-F. Your beliefs are valuable only to the extent that they are an exact reflection of the truth. And that's what we do. We're not Christ-like, by the way. We are reflections of Christ. He is reflecting himself through us. The Bible, the Word of God, is the exact thinking of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Bible is the owner's manual for your life. It is, the, it is God-breathed into the authors of Scripture who wrote exactly what God wanted them to write. The Bible is crystal clear, and it is sufficient to help you solve all of your human problems because there is a divine solution for every human problem. And what the Bible is not is a bunch of stories made up by a bunch of guys. What the Bible is not is out of date. We implore you to always compare what's taught here at Barah Ministries to what the Bible says. That's not just an invitation, it's a responsibility. Now, who is God's enemy? It's Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. In John chapter 12, verse 31, the Lord says this, Now judgment is upon this world, and now the ruler of this world, Satan, will be cast out. He will be dethroned at a future time. Now Satan inspires impatience in us. I don't believe you had me. Some will repeat that. Satan inspires impatience in us. He wants us to live a do-it-yourself lifestyle instead of waiting for God to lay out our path for us. Satan inspires the thought, if it's to be, it's up to me. Impatience is a sign. It's a sign of immaturity, the unwillingness to wait for God. It's a sign of unbelief, the unwillingness to trust God. It's a sign that the flesh is rearing its ugly, bossy head in your life, which is the unwillingness to listen to God the Holy Spirit. The Lord's half-brother James recommends patience in James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. He says this, Consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you encounter trials of various kinds. James 1, 3, Knowing that the testing of your faith during trials produces endurance. And what is endurance? It's patience in the face of difficulties. James 1.4. And let endurance, patience in the face of difficulties, have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Success requires stamina. Stamina produces maturity. And maturity is you reflecting the fruit of God the Holy Spirit. Today's Bible lesson, what if there's no resurrection from the dead? What if there's no resurrection from the dead? Well, for most of you, Domino's is a place to get a cardboard-tasting pizza. Can I get a little... uh, I disagree with that statement. I said play the drums. I'm not, I'm, I'm, thank you. 
So anyway, for most of you, Domino's is a place to get cardboard-tasting pizza, at, at least the last time I had it, which was probably about 15 years ago. But Domino's is actually a tile-based game played with gaming pieces that goes back as far as the Song Dynasty in China in the 13th century. Somewhere along the way, someone got the idea that stacking dominoes in a row and toppling them was a good idea. Well, after stacking a series of dominoes, you topple the first one and the rest fall onto each other until all the dominoes are laying down. It's a quite intricate process to set it up and a quite quick process for it to go down. And if you want to see one of the coolest things ever... Check out the 12,000 Dominoes YouTube video where 12,000 Dominoes topple in less than two minutes. The resurrection from the dead is like a domino in the Christian way of life. If the resurrection of the dead actually occurred, then it produced a series of beneficial results that stagger the imagination. If the resurrection of the dead did not happen, then it produces a domino effect that predicts our ruin as Christians. Small wonder that the enemy of God would seek to distort the accomplished fact of Christ's resurrection from the dead so that Christians would doubt their futures. That's one of the things that's always in religion. Every religion wants you to doubt your future. Every religion wants you to doubt how God feels about you. Well, in today's lesson, Paul continues dealing with this issue of the resurrection in the first century church at Corinth. Well, let's hear some music. Romans chapter 8, verses 24 and 25 say this, For in hope for the future, we believers in Christ have been saved in the past by God, but hope that is seen in the present is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? Romans chapter 8, verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see in the future, and we do, with patience, we wait eagerly for the things which are to come. Well, is God delivering what you're praying for? If God is delaying, it doesn't mean no. As Danny Gokey sings it, maybe you just haven't seen it yet. been praying and you still have no answers have you been pouring out your heart for so many years have you been hoping that things would have changed by now have you cried all the faith you have through so many Waiting on the other side of the darkest night Don't 
songs ever. Haven't seen it yet. That's right, because God shows everything in his time, in due time, at the right time. Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, we know that everything in this universe is yours, even the cattle on a thousand hills. You are the consummate landlord. Thank you for your plans, for your protection, for your provision, for your presence in our lives. As the landlord of the universe, we pray that you will serve up several eviction notices. We pray that you will rid the world of Satan's interference that distorts the gospel message for unbelievers by opening their eyes to the truth through the convicting ministry of God the Holy Spirit. We pray that you will block Satan's distractions that interfere with your believers when they study the word. And we pray that you remove all the implanted hatred in our hearts which disrupt our reflection of your unconditional love. We ask this through the enabling power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Speaking of distractions, what's that noise? Is it? Are they on the roof? Uh, So, Denny, can you go ask them to play in traffic, to, to go out on the freeway and enjoy themselves? Today's Bible lesson, what if there is no resurrection from the dead? What if there is no resurrection from the dead? Well, the first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospels. They are written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Gospels written by Matthew, Mark, and John are called the Synoptic Gospels. A word, it's a Latin word actually, which in literal translation means the same, sin, view, optics, the same view. Even the term puts to rest the idea that there are contradictions in the Bible, and that's what religions will always tell you. Oh, the Bible has a lot of contradictions. I mean, these guys saw things differently. No, they didn't. Synoptic Gospels, the same view. They had the same view of Jesus Christ's life. The Synoptic Gospels provide us with a general account of Jesus Christ's life on earth from the same point of view, and they cover what Jesus did and what he said during his time on earth. John's gospel is different. Its focus is to reveal Jesus Christ's identity. It sheds light on the fact that Jesus Christ is God, the Son of God who took on human form. As it says in John chapter 1, verse 14, God the Son became flesh, Jesus Christ, and tabernacled among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the uniquely born one, full of grace and full of truth. The fifth book of the Bible is the book of Acts. It details the formation of the first century church. The sixth book of the Bible is Paul's letter to the Romans, the foundational book of biblical Christianity. A believer who has not studied Romans probably doesn't know jack squat about Christianity. And it only took me 50 years into my Christian life to study it. My drum guy is a little slow today. All of you are a little slow. What is wrong with you? Get some sleep on Saturday night. You guys are all slow. You're dragging around, got long faces. I know what it is. Satan kicked your butts this week because you had a good time last week. That's what happened. 
No, that's the truth. But that's exactly what happened. That's what happened to me, too. The seventh book of the Bible, of the New Testament, I shouldn't say the Bible. All those places where I said the Bible, I meant the New Testament. The seventh book of the New Testament is 1 Corinthians. And it is the book we've been studying for the last year or so. We're about 125 hours into our study. And what we're learning about is a church of believers in Christ who are new to Christianity. We're learning all the things that can go wrong in a believer's life when they are starting out. The letter illuminates a few of the many things that Satan, the enemy of God, introduces into our lives to ruin our lives. Well, what are some of those things? Divisions and rivalries, religion, elitism, I'm better than you are because of my color, I'm better than you are because of my race, I'm better than you are because of my bank balance, immaturity, pseudo-spirituality, you see that on the dating websites all the time. I'm, I'm really spiritual, I'm not religious. You know, people that write that, do they even know what that means? That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Uh, it's in the top ten, but what does that even mean? Because we know what it means to be spiritual. As believers in Christ, we're spiritual because we're indwelled by God the Holy Spirit. That's what makes you spiritual. Not some feeling that you have because you happen to go to a yoga class and hum two or three times and sniff some incense in a room that's 104 degrees where you're sweating bullets the whole time. What are some of the other things that are going on in the First Corinthian church? The abuse of God's gifts to mankind. The peril of false instruction. The perversion of immorality. We had a guy who was sleeping with his mother-in-law. That happens all the time. All the time. And, you know, everybody over here is getting the face. Oh, ew. Ew. Yeah, well, why don't you get your, your resume out? Let's get your skeletons out. You tell me a couple of those things that you're doing so I can give you the ew face because you've done that stuff. See, we're always pointing the finger at everybody else when three fingers are pointing back at us. All of us have got our scrapbook of ew. Amen. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what we do. We get relative. Well, yeah, I I have my scrapbook of you, but not like that. You know, sleeping with my mother-in-law, which I can understand the whole having had a couple of mother-in-laws myself, I can understand the ew face of that. But I mean, yeah, we're not talking about, oh, he slept with his mother-in-law and you ate graham crackers during Lent. You know, we're not talking about that kind of stuff. Okay. So uh, what are some of the other things? Tolerating sin. And, you know, one of the things when this guy was sleeping with his mother-in-law, they, the church was condoning it. They thought, oh, whatever, whatever, you know, it's all good. And then suing other believers so that we end up in court having unbelievers judge believers in Christ. Or how about the distorted sexual relationship in marriage where people in marriage deprive each other of sex and then scratch their heads when the other person goes out and has an affair. That is the funniest thing ever. I can't tell you how many times I've heard in the last month people talking about how they're in a marriage and they haven't had sex with 
the person they're married to for five years, two years, one year, three years. And I used to wonder how that would happen because I, I remember early in my career, there was a lady that, that I worked for and she was absolutely stunningly gorgeous. And she told me that she and her husband hadn't had sex in two years. And they were divorced shortly after that. But I remember I was, it was early on in my marriage, and I was thinking, God, how does that even happen? It happens. <laughs> Ain't nobody telling you about it, though. Right? So there are a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that happens in marriages we don't talk about. Right? But the Bible talks about it. And what does the Bible say? Don't deprive each other. You remember we studied that. Uh, I think it was in uh, chapter, uh, chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. Idols and idol food. Failure to care for unbelievers, the disrespectful conduct of women in church, the rejection of the resurrection of the dead. These are all the, you know, this is 15 things that we've been dealing with in this letter. And these are the same things that are going on today. The same thing. There are a lot of people in this world who completely reject the fact that Jesus Christ is God, completely reject the fact that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. Completely reject it. You even bring it up and it's a fight. And Christians have learned, yeah, just don't bring it up. Just keep, keep everything to yourself. My religion is real. My, my spirituality is very private. Okay. Well, uh, Romans one sixteen says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power, uh, the divine power of God for those who believe. So we're not ashamed. So we continue our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and as I mentioned to you a couple lessons over the last few lessons, there are six sections of this chapter for us to study. The first four sections are addressing, is the resurrection real? And then the second four sections are are addressing, well, how is the resurrection possible? And what you have to distinguish is the earthly realm and the heavenly realm. And they are different realms which require different bodies. You have an earthly body, and you will have a heavenly body. Awesome. So we continue our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And let's recall the important points of our study of section 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 11, before we go into our study of section 2. So what is the issue Paul is addressing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? He's addressing a concern the believers at, in first century Corinth have uh, as to whether there is a resurrection from the dead. Some were saying no. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12 says this. Now, if Christ is preached, and he is, that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection from the dead? Paul's asking this church that he founded How did you get to this? Well, I'll tell you exactly how they got to it. It's how we always get to it. We are mealy-mouthed, weak, unfocused people who don't want to make a commitment to anything. And so we have this mental mentality, it's all good. People who are focused are freaks. We don't like them because we're not focused. You know, they say, look, I just have one thing that I do in my life. And that's all I do. I go, oh, that's disgusting. How can you do that? So what is the one thing we do? The one thing we do is Christianity. The one thing we do is Christ. 
He's our one God. And the one place we get our mentality is from his word. That's it. And we don't listen to Satan who wants us to believe, yeah, the Bible, you know, don't get me wrong. Look, the Bible's good. I know it. I know it cold. I know it cold. It's a good book. But there are so many other ways to learn about God. Yeah, you got to believe in Jesus Christ. I get that. I believe in Jesus Christ. But you got to keep the sacraments. You got to read the pearls of great price. You got to do the Book of Mormon. You got to do the Jehovah's Witness Bible. I mean, look at all the religions of the world. There's so many ways to express BS. BS. That's not the God we have. The God we have, everything is one. BS. But we're too weak to reject everything that is not one thing. We don't want to commit. Why? Why don't we want to commit? One thing. Focus. And when you make that decision to focus, your life changes dramatically. You don't even know how amazing it is to just have one thing. So, that's what Paul is dealing with here. Is there a resurrection from the dead? There's only one answer to that. Yes, there is. Or no, there isn't. It's not, yeah... And then, well, it could be this, it could be that, it could be this, it could be that, it could be this, it could be that, it could be this, it could be that. Because that's what Satan does. He's the, well, it could be, well, you never know. No, it's either there is one or there isn't one. Take your pick. That's the great thing about God. He has a plan, his enemy has a plan. And the thing that's deceptive about Satan's plan is he does the, what do you want to buy? You want a radio? What do you want? You want a watch? What do you want? You can have anything you want. What kind of religion you want? I'll give you whatever you want. But what we're seeing now is that he, we are in the intensified stage of the creator-creature conflict where you see it's coming just like this. All of the broadness is coming right to the narrow. Everything's going to zoom right into Rome. There's going to be one world government, one world currency, one world religion. Everything's going to be on the Internet, and your stuff's going to get turned off if you don't comply. There's a guy that uh, I respect who evangelizes to Roman Catholics. His name is Mike Gendron. He was on American Airlines. Now, he, has, he is vicious in his evangelism of Roman Catholics. And he was on American Airlines and he pulled up his mask to take a drink. Now, I, I am an American Airlines person. I've flown 10 million miles with American Airlines. So I pulled up my, I pull up my mask to drink. Well, he pulled up his mask to drink and he got reported for not wearing a mask when he was wearing a mask. And so when he and his wife were going home from a conference, they wouldn't let them on American Airlines. No due process, no warning, just wouldn't let him on. Security would not let him on the flight. And he is, thank you, by the way, Denny, I'm sweating up here. So 
would not let him on the flight, would not refund his money, and won't answer his calls or talk to him. No due process. That's Satan. That's Satan right now. So all of this multiple religion stuff is going to be one religion. One religion. That's what's coming. And you can hear it all the time. We're all in this together. We're global. That's not God's plan. God's plan is nationalism, separateness. It is not we're all in this together. There was one language in the past. And that allowed for the spread of evangelism. And what did God do? He scrambled the languages so that it would slow the spread of mass evangelism. So if, 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 if I was a very charismatic person and I could get anybody to believe anything I want, I could do really well in the United States and in Britain. But if I went to Italy, you know, they'd be like, whoa. Because I'm not speaking Italian. And if I went to France, oh, je m'appelle, bonjour, they, they don't know what I'm saying. If I go down to Mexico, they know what I'm saying. What's up, y'all? <laughs> so, the Tower of Babel, right? When the languages were scrambled, scrambled, somebody who spoke one language said everybody else was babbling. Yeah, they were. That was to slow the spread of evangelism. That's changing now. We got Google Translate, right? And, and there's this movement. By the way, one of the funniest things ever is I was trying to be versatile with one of my customers in Germany, and I took my English document and used Google Translate to translate it into German. They laughed at me for two days of the three-day workshop. I, I couldn't even teach them anything because the translation was so horrible. But it's not that way anymore. The translations have gotten really good. See? So it's all going to be one thing. That's what we're seeing. This tyranny. The pretense of you can have anything you want is narrowing down to make your choice or die. And that's what the tribulation is all about. You have two choices. Take the mark of the beast or die. That's it. That's where we're going. But fortunately for us as church-age believers, we won't be here during that time. Because the rapture of the church happens before that time. But that's where we're going. So all of this, you can have anything you want, is a ruse. That's what your phone is all about. It's, It's designed to give you a ruse that you can have your own brand of spirituality on your phone. And so you got five or six or seven different Bibles and five or six or seven different pastors and you got all these messages coming at you. The data is like a tsunami. It's too much information for you to process and then you just quit. And then you get passive and everything, wait for everything to come to you. That's the, the punishment for a lack of focus. But our God is not like that. That's not how he wants us to operate. So... What if there isn't a resurrection of the dead? The first century Corinthians believed that there is life after death, but without a resurrection from the dead. And why did they believe that? They didn't believe that because that's what Paul taught them. They believed it because they were listening to the culture around them. They are in a mental struggle between what happens in the earthly realm and what happens in the heavenly realm. 
they are confused. And Paul is correcting the error in their thinking with 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So let's remind ourselves what we covered in the first two lessons on the chapter and then get into the next section for study. So Paul begins 1 Corinthians 15 with a reminder. What is the most important message in biblical Christianity? It is the gospel message, the good news concerning what Christ did to save you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Now I, Paul, make known to you, brethren, believers in Christ in the church at first century Corinth, the gospel message I preached to you in the past, which gospel message you also received, and accepted as true and believed, in which gospel you keep on standing in the present with the result that you have an absolutely certain future. That's God. Everything is absolute. Everything is past, present, and future. Crystal clear. 1 Corinthians 15, 2. By which gospel also you keep on being saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you. And of course you do. First class condition, if in the Greek. Unless you believed in vain. And what does it mean to believe in vain? That means to believe without careful thought, as unbelievers are prone to do, putting your faith in something untrue or partial. There is another gospel message. There is another Jesus. And religions sell it. So, so that believers in the first century Corinthian church are not partial in their understanding of the gospel message, Paul presents the key elements of the full gospel message, which you guys hear every Sunday. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. I, Paul, delivered to you Corinthian believers as of first importance the gospel message I also received from God, that the Christ, the Messiah, is the one who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures. So Christ died for you. The crucifixion. And what else? 1 Corinthians 15, 4. Then he was buried, transition, and then he was raised from the dead on the third day, according to the Old Testament scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, 5. And after his resurrection from the dead, the Christ, the Messiah, appeared to Cephas, that's Simon Peter's Aramaic name, then to the twelve, a slang term for the apostles, who were 11 minus Judas Iscariot, the betrayer. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15, 6, after his resurrection from the dead, the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to more than 500 brethren, believers in Christ, simultaneously, at one time they saw him, most of whom remain alive until now, but some have fallen asleep, some have died physically. 1 Corinthians 15, 7, Then the Lord appeared to James, his half-brother. Then he appeared to all the apostles. Paul uses a euphemism for death, falling asleep. He uses it to infer that there will be an awakening after some time. And that awakening is the resurrection. Amen? Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, 8. And last of all, as if to one untimely born, as if to an aborted fetus, the Greek says, the Lord appeared to me, Paul, also. 1 Corinthians 15, 9. 
For I, Paul, am the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. He killed men, women, and children who were Christians. He sponsored the killing of men, women, and children who were Christians. Why? Because he wanted to wipe out the Christian church. Paul had an attitude that was similar to the attitude of Adolf Hitler. Hitler was a Gentile who thought that the Jews should be eradicated. Paul was a Jew who thought Christians, especially Gentiles, should be eradicated. There's one of those historical facts that seldom gets brought to light. So what did God do with a man who wanted to eliminate his church? (laughs) This is what I love about God. He made Paul the apostle to the Gentiles, the replacement apostle for Judas Iscariot, and charged him with preaching the mystery doctrine of the church age. And what is the mystery doctrine of the church age? Christ indwelling you. The hope of glory. Christ indwelling you. The absolute confidence that you have a future. See, this is what religion proposes. Religion proposes that you can lose your salvation. But here's the lie of it. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are indwelled in this age by the entire Trinity. Now, who does that? God does it. And God never changes his mind. So now you're in union with Christ. You cannot get out. So you say, well, you know what? I know I believed in Christ, but I renounce that. I don't think Jesus Christ is God. I was wrong. I'm going to become a Muslim. All right, who did that? Muhammad Ali did that. Cassius Clay was a believer in Christ who rejected Christ, became a Muslim, said Jesus Christ is not God. He's in heaven today, though. Why? Because he loved God, but God didn't leave him. Because once you're in union with Christ, you can't get out. That's the mystery doctrine of the church age. Christ indwelling you. You can't get out. Now, what we're supposed to believe is that this, this God who put himself in union with you, we can lose, we can tear ourselves away from him, and we can lose our salvation if we keep sinning. No, sorry. No, the Bible says no. No, it's not my opinion. The Bible says no. I give eternal life to believers in Christ. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hands. There is nothing, Romans 8, 38 and 39, there is nothing that can sever us from our union with Christ. Nothing. Amen. Amen back at you. I love that about God. So the Lord picks Paul to write two-thirds of the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I, Paul, am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I doing the labor, but the grace of God within me doing the labor. This is to all the Christians who want to have the doo-doo lifestyle, the do-it-yourself lifestyle. It's God doing the work in you. It's not you doing anything for God. 
God and God alone has the power to change people. In his grace, God takes people who are not worthy and people who are not deserving and makes them worthy and deserving. I remember, and by the way, I don't believe you heard me. That's what I-D-B-Y-H-M is. I don't believe you heard me. So I'm going to repeat that. God and God alone has the power to change people. And in his grace, God takes people who are not worthy and people who are not deserving and makes them worthy and deserving. When I was teaching systematic theology, here was the definition of grace. It's something that we don't earn or deserve, but God gives it to us anyway. That is a pathetic definition of grace. That isn't what grace is at all. That's pathetic. It has nothing to do with what we earn or deserve. What it has to do with what grace is, is God in unconditional love toward us, allowing us to make our own decisions in this life with his full sponsorship and his forgiveness and his unconditional love is the foundation of it. That's what grace is. It has nothing to do with earn or deserve. It has everything to do with what God thinks you're worthy of and what God thinks you deserve. And you know what he thinks you're worthy of? Everything. And you know what he thinks you deserve? Everything. And how, what's the proof? Oh, Rory, you're just making that up, man. Show me that in the Bible. i show you that in the Bible. It's called in union with Christ. He thought you were so worthy and so deserving that when you believed in him, he put himself into a Siamese twin relationship with you. And he will never let you get out of it. Does that even sink in? <laughs> yeah, that's right. God couldn't possibly love us that much, could he? He can't love us that much. He's not big enough to do that. Amen? Amen. <laughs> God never wants us to see ourselves as unworthy and undeserving again because he counts us worthy and deserving. 1 Corinthians fifteen eleven. Whether then it was by I, Paul, or all the other apostles, so we keep on preaching the gospel and so you keep on receiving the gospel and believing. All right, that was the first part. When we return from break, we'll take the offering and then we'll study section two. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. Will all the other not quite? Will all the never get it right? But it turns out they're the ones you for all this time Cause I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Stage fright, and David brought a rock to a sword fight. 
You picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm just a nobody
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, what if there is no resurrection from the dead? What if there is no resurrection from the dead? So somebody asked me uh, about the announcements. They said, hey, Rory, did you forget Harold and Cindy Christensen? And I said, no, of course I didn't forget Harold and Christy, Cindy Christensen. My, those are my peeps. I would never forget them. Uh, actually, I just blocked Harold out, and Cindy was collateral damage because I took Harold out golfing on Monday, and then when I was checking the, the golf bag, he had taken my divot repair tools, so I just kind of blocked it out. Are you feeling me on that? My, my thieving friend. Okay, but today, all right, all is forgiven. That's, that's it. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, believe me, I did not... <laughs> I know, I know it's like that. So, sorry, Harold and Cindy. Uh, uh, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. <laughs> Let me fall on my sword and kill myself. I love you guys. <laughs> I do. So, um, yeah, anyway, that's embarrassing, but my brain is not here this week. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 to 17, here's what the Apostle Paul has to say about giving. He says, you, yourself, you yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, in Paul's first missionary journey, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. Philippians 4.16. For even in Thessalonica, in Paul's second missionary journey, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Philippians 4.17 Not that I seek the gift itself for myself, even though I appreciate it, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account from God when you give. I know what Paul means. One of the greatest pleasures of my life is giving. It's a pleasure for me over the years to give my time, talent, and treasure so that anyone who wants to learn about the Lord Jesus Christ can do so free of charge. I don't give of myself once in a while. I give of myself all the time. And that's what the Lord wants from all of us, our all. One of the things I most appreciate about the faithful few here at Barah Ministries is that you have joined me in generosity by giving. I exhort everyone, if you listen to Barah Ministries, I'm asking you to support Barah Ministries. No amount is too small. And I want you to make giving to Barah Ministries a routine. Not that I seek the gift itself. It's the great pleasure to watch how God blesses your giving and makes it have an impact all over the world, in places all over the world, with people you know nothing about. So Brett came up to me on the break and he said, Hey, can you set up an automatic payment schedule for... Uh, for contributions, and you can. You can do that on the website or on the app. And I said, yeah, uh, Mr. Cashless Society, you're already ready for the Cashless Society. He said, well, don't be behead me. And I said, okay, Venmo. <laughs> right? Because <laughs> the, the current generation is Venmo happy. And what are some of the other? Zell. Zell. Cash out, yeah, listen to all y'all. Y'all all up in my face. Right, cash out. I mean, Larry, do we do any of that stuff, or are we just old, boring PayPal people? I don't know what they're talking about either. But. I 
I'm just kidding you, Denise. I have Venmo. Oh, I do. I do, but I also I also have some cash. Because if a homeless person's about to stab you, you better have some cash. You feeling me, Brett? It's <laughs> crazy. All right, let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Good morning. Good morning. Got that different camera angle. There it is. I think, am I a little hot, a little loud there? Or no? Sounds good. All right, good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. Barah Ministries is a worldwide Christian church. This is a place for real people who want to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of, word of, word of God, the Bible. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about, about the, the conference. It was, it was super fun, great messages, great people. It was fun to connect with everybody and actually have a deeper relationship with some of these people, you know, put a, a face with a name and now a background and know what they do and, and now I can pray for them and really cherish those relationships. And I think pastor mentioned that you know people love going to the conferences because they just they love the community but it's because of relationships and it made me think you know what, what's a relationship there's lots of relationships in our lives and we don't engage in all of them namely our relationship with our plus r with righteousness we never think about it we have the victory we have the righteousness within us you know we don't bring that with us everywhere and um you know we're not fighting for victory every day we're, we're living in victory we're victorious and so I think a lot of times we kind of give up or we want to quit, and we're not. We're, we're working from a place of victory. Um, we see in John chapter 15, verse 5, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, am the vine. You believers in Christ are the branches. He who abides in me, he who obeys me, and I indwelling in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, he can do nothing. And this is a, a verse speaking to, to believers. This isn't a question of salvation. This is a question of are you bringing God with you when you go to things? Are you having a relationship with your righteousness in every relationship? So, you know, you go to the pizza joint. Are you bringing God with you? Are you having ten slices? Are you going to shut it down around four? Think about it. Our body is the body of Christ. We should treat our body well. And, you know, you can you know, fill in anything for pizza, beer, wine, you know, video games, too late at night, not sleeping, anything. Are you bringing God with you? You know, how about God and your girlfriend? A lot of people don't, they don't bring God with the girlfriend. They kind of separate that thing. Oh, we can kind of just live outside of here. But they don't bring it in. They don't put a ring on that finger. You know, and how about God and work? We have a lot of different things at work where relationships, you know, maybe you go in the back room and you start gossiping about somebody. What does that help? That doesn't help anybody. Trash somebody or, you know, spread some rumors or something. Bring God with you at work and just forgive. Like, just shut it down. Don't talk about it. Or stand up for somebody. Or in, you know, private, bring it up to them and help them change what they're doing wrong. You know, and then how about God and family? It's really easy to separate God from family because sometimes you don't want to bring God with family. Whether talking about them, or talking about salvation or the gospel, or just dealing with family, the knucklehead sometimes. That one uncle that, had, you, never, you know, you tell him to bring the ice and he always forgets the ice. You just forgive him next time and remember to bring ice and let, him, let it go. And so, you know, there's, you see in this Bible, there's a connection between the vine and the branches. There's a connection between us and God. And we need to abide in that. You see in this chapter, he says abide over and over. It's repetition. 
And that's why we come each week. Because it's like another coat of paint. You don't put just one coat of paint on. You put in a coat, you prime it, and you put several coats. That's like the repetition of coming here. We're building up our knowledge. We're being slowly changed. It's not us. It's God changing us. So this is a chance to do it by coming here and by listening each week. And really, you know, this is our relationship to, to um, righteousness by attending, by supporting, and by sharing your spiritual gift. It's more than just your time, your talent, your treasure. It's your spiritual gift we each have. You know, pastor's shines very brightly. Mine is super bright, you know, sometimes too bright. But it's, it's you know, it's, I think everybody has something to offer, and we need to remember that, that God's big enough to support us in what we do, and he's big enough to do all the work for us. So just remember that as you're giving to broadministries.com and Pastor Rory Clark, and ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ. So thank you very much. Today's Bible lesson, what if there is no resurrection of the dead? 
What if there is no resurrection of the dead? Well, let's study section 2 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 12, to see what the implications are if there is no resurrection from the dead. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ is being preached, that he has been raised from the dead, and he has been to ye <laughs> by me, how does some among all of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? Paul is expressing shock here. He's saying, wait, what? Do you know how stupid that sounds, that you think that there's no resurrection from the dead? Why? Because Paul has already established that most of the first century Corinthians are believers in Christ. In section 1 of the chapter, he has taught them the gospel message personally. They have received it. And they believe it. By believing the gospel message, most of them also believe that Christ was resurrected from the dead. Now Paul's students need more instruction because some of them can't quite grasp the idea of a resurrection from the dead, even though they believe that Christ was raised from the dead. And you won't even believe. I couldn't, I couldn't write it and, and without my head exploding. But you can't believe all the things that they propose well, like, wait a minute, how can God take a decomposed body and raise it from the dead? Why would we want to have a decomposed body in heaven? You know, they go to all these strange, wacko places, which is exactly what our friends do. If you, if you ever engage, you know, there's this policy that we have in the world. Don't talk about uh, politics or religion. The reason that nobody wants to talk about God is because they don't want anybody to hear their wacko views of God. Because when you start talking to people about God, boy, it's frightening to hear some of the things that they propose. So, Paul's students need more instruction because they're confused. And why they're confused is the Greek philosophers of the day said there can't possibly be a resurrection from the dead. Now, these guys that were the Greek philosophers, Socrates, Aristotle, and all those guys, were tremendous intellects. But what the Bible calls them is soukikos men. That's a Greek word, soukikos men, which is natural men. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, the natural man, the soukikos man, cannot understand the things of God the Holy Spirit. Why is that? They're foolishness. These things are foolishness to them. Why? Because they're spiritually appraised. Oh, I'm spiritual. Uh, I'm not really religious. You can't be spiritual unless you are indwelled by God the Holy Spirit. And if you're not indwelled by God the Holy Spirit, you don't understand spiritual things. That's the problem. These guys are, are all logic, and their logic makes perfect logical, human, intellectual sense and no spiritual sense whatsoever. None. De completely devoid of faith. This is a malady that has been going on for years in Christianity. See, we believe in Christ, we study the Word of God, and then we let the world's propaganda create doubt and take us off course. Because what the world is seeking to do with Christians is to intimidate you. 
It wants to intimidate you off of your viewpoint. I can remember, uh, and I was at a timeshare presentation, and this lady said, there are many roads to God. And I said, you know what, ma'am? That is the most ridiculous thing that's ever come out of your mouth. That's completely false. What you just said is that you, if you go west from Los Angeles, that that's the fastest route to get to New York City. Absolutely, incredibly wrong, what you just said. Now see, as Christians, we're not willing to say that to people. We're not willing to tell them what you said is absolutely off base. It couldn't be further from the truth. Well, I don't want to offend anybody. The truth offends people. The truth offends people who don't want to hear the truth. I want to hear the truth. So, we believe in Christ, we study the word, yet we let the world's propaganda create doubt and take us off course. We spend more time watching the news than we do studying the word. Now, the world believed that the soul cannot live outside the body. So when the body is dead, the soul is dead. That the soul, once it leaves the body, no longer exists. That's what the Greek philosophers believe. The truth is that the soul, once born, never dies, and you get to choose where it spends eternity, and that's one of two places only, heaven or the lake of fire. There is nothing else. The Greek philosophers didn't buy that. They were fatalistic. They believed that there was no heaven, there was no hell, so earth is it, you better live it up. Eat, drink, and be merry. That was their philosophy. And there are a lot of people who have that same philosophy today. And it's a great philosophy if you just want to do whatever you want to do. You know, on these dating websites, I'm 420 friendly. It's like, what, you like eating in the afternoon? What does that even mean, 420 friendly? And what it means is they're okay with marijuana. Yeah, that's what, yeah, that's what that means. I don't, I don't get where that comes from or anything, but my, my older son knows all about it, so I just tapped into his, uh, his, him as a resource. Where's the drum? Where's the drum? I tapped into you as a resource. Yeah, he should, it should be the drum. It should be warm, warm, warm. All right, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not trying to hurt you, man. They don't. You can't handle the truth. Well, the truth is the soul once born never dies. And we get to choose where it spends eternity. But the Greek f- philosophers were fatalistic. My Jewish friends, many of them, are fatalistic. They don't believe there's a heaven or a hell. So then what happens? What happens when your loved one dies? And what is it like when you know that one of your loved ones is going to die and you have that fatalistic view? So Paul is about to teach the first century Corinthian believers that the spiritual dominoes that happen if there is no resurrection from the dead are pretty severe. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 13. If, for the sake of argument, this is a first-class condition, if, in Greek, Typically, that's if and it's true, but it's also if for the sake of argument. If for the sake of argument it's true, that there is no resurrection of the dead. Rut row, then Christ has not been raised from the dead. 
taking the first and most important spiritual domino as true, there is no resurrection of the dead, there's a host of dire consequences that must logically follow. The next domino is that Christ is not raised from the dead. Ruh-roh. As we discussed on Resurrection Sunday, if Christ is not raised from the dead, then we just have another human martyr on our hands. If all he did was die, what did he do that was different than Gandhi? What did he do that was different than Martin Luther King? Nothing. But that's not all that happened. He was buried and he was resurrected from the dead to prove that he is deity, to prove that he is not a criminal. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And if, for the sake of argument, Christ has not been raised from the dead, here's the progression of dominoes, then our preaching is in vain. You're listening to a pastor who's talking about stuff that's pointless. Cue Kenny Rankin. Hello, Cinnabon and Bosa Donuts. Hello, Arizona Republic. Great weekend for it. The NFL draft was this week. Yeah, that's right. And then what's the next domino? If Christ isn't raised from the dead, then my preaching is pointless. Then your faith is also just as pointless because there's no such thing as Christianity because the gospel is false. Class dismissed. If the gospel message isn't true, then Christianity is just a practical joke. It's just a hoax. And if that's true, let's get out of here. Let's don't waste our time. 1 Corinthians 15, 15. Moreover, we all, we, all the apostles that teach you that Christ is resurrected from the dead, are even found to be false witnesses. We're liars in our preaching about God the Father. Because we all testified about God the Father that he raised Christ from the dead. But if, in fact, the dead are not raised, God the Father didn't raise Christ from the dead, God the Father's a liar and a hoaxer. We're all the apostles. Anybody who's ever preached the gospel is a hoaxer. And so in case you missed it, Paul repeats it. 1 Corinthians 15, 16. For if for the sake of argument the dead are not raised from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. And if for the sake of argument Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is worthless. And even worse... The dominoes keep falling. You are still in your sins. Your sins are not forgiven. You are not forgiven at all. And you're still spiritually dead. If you're spiritually dead, you're going to the lake of fire. In other words, you're toast. If Christ is not raised from the dead, all of the things that I taught you about yourself last Friday night are completely untrue. And you remember, I taught you that you are a new creation. You are a work of art. You are a saint. You are a priest. You're an ambassador. You're the possessor of absolute righteousness. You're holy and blameless. You're in union with Christ. You're in union with the Spirit. You're redeemed, reconciled. You're a possession of God. You're justified. The folk, you are the focus of forgiveness. You are a child of God. If there's no resurrection from the dead, then all of these things are called into question. Ouch. So all that stuff I told you the first Friday night of the conference, I take it back. If there's no resurrection from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 18. Then, worse yet, those 
who have fallen asleep in physical death while in union with Christ have perished. They're just dead and gone forever. You're never going to see your parents again. You're never going to see any of your relatives who went to heaven again. Done. In other words, we have no future. We have no hope. It's easy to see who the sponsor of this nonsense is, isn't it? It's Satan, the enemy of God. That's exactly what he wants you to think. He wants you to think that you have no hope. He wants you to think that God doesn't care about you. He wants you to think that you don't have the victory. He wants you to doubt, doubt, doubt. And Deacon Denny said it perfectly. We stand on victorious ground. We already have the Super Bowl ring. We won the game. And Satan's saying, you didn't win. Come back on the court. No, the game's over. You lost. I don't think I lost. I think you're just being kind of, you know, arbitrary and unfair. Okay. You lost. Game over. But we believe him when he starts telling us that stuff. He's lying. 1 Corinthians fifteen nineteen. If for the sake of argument we keep on hoping in Christ only for this life, we are of all men most to be pitied because we are fools who have just wasted our time. This is what unbelievers think about Christians. They think we're weak. They think we need a crutch. They think we're placing our confidence in a fairy tale. All I have to say about their assumptions is, he who laughs last, laughs best. We'll see. God doesn't want us to be double-minded. He wants us to listen to him and him only. And when we do, we have hope. When we don't, we doubt. And we become unstable in all our ways. What if there's no resurrection from the dead? That's crap. There's absolutely a resurrection from the dead. And Jesus Christ was absolutely resurrected from the dead. And our preaching is not vain. And your faith in Christianity is not pointless or vain. And you are justified. And you are all of those things that I told you. Fact. Not speculation. Fact. We'll continue our study next week. The closing moments of our study today are a reminder that God wants you. And what God wants from you is that you make the most important decision of your life. So this gospel message is dedicated to anyone who does not have a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Where you spend eternity matters to God because you matter to God. He wants you to be saved. You have a choice in the matter of being saved, and the choice is yours and yours alone. In John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, the Lord Jesus Christ is talking to a Samaritan woman at a well. She found it unusual because she recognized that he's a Jew, and Jews typically wanted nothing to do with Samaritans. Well, after a brief introduction, the Lord says to the woman, Everyone who drinks of the water in this well will thirst again. John 14, 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, the water of the word, the gospel message, shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up 
to the resurrection life. It is the Lord's will for you to live with him in heaven forever when you close your eyes in this life. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 say this, This is what is good and acceptable in the sight of the God who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who desires all men to be saved and who desires for all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. But unbelievers have a problem. Religion. Satan's system, which is designed to share a false gospel and another Jesus. In religion, the way to be saved, is religion the way to be saved? Is religion the truth? Billions of people in the world are part of religions. Many of them believe that the religion and its rituals are the ticket to heaven. And they embrace religious beliefs that tell them how to live a spiritual life. The religion claims either that there is a God or there are many gods, but the religion does not discuss how to have a personal relationship with God. Religions propose that if you don't do everything their God expects, that he will be quite disappointed with you. And regardless of your best efforts to follow religious rituals, you can't and you don't. And even if you did all of them, the religion doesn't guarantee that following the rituals will get you into heaven. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. A relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ saves you. The truth the Lord wants you to know is how to be saved, how to get to heaven when you close your eyes in this life. And he sent me to tell this to you. Getting to heaven when you close your eyes in this life is as simple as a nine-word conversation with God the Father. Like the one Luke chapter 23 verses 42 and 43 tell us about. As a thief was being crucified next to Jesus, he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Luke 23, 43. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Just a nine-word conversation with God can get you into heaven. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Or, if you prefer, It's a five-word conversation with God the Father. Father, I believe in Christ. Simply believe, which means you take God's word for what it takes to be saved, and that is the moment of the resurrection life, eternal life, for you. Who is this God who saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scripture, and that he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Old Testament scriptures. If you reject the relationship offer the Lord Jesus Christ makes to you, he will honor your rejection. Matthew chapter 13 verses 49 and 50 say this, So it will be at the end of the age. The elect angels will come forth and take out the wicked, a description of unbelievers, from among the righteous, believers in Christ. Matthew 13, 50. And will throw the wicked into the furnace of fire, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. On the other hand, once the Lord saves you, no matter how hard you try, You cannot lose your salvation. John chapter 10, verse 28, I give eternal life to believers in Christ and they will never perish and no one 
will snatch them out of my hand. That's a promise directly from the Lord himself. Anyone who tells you that you can lose your salvation is lying to you. So follow the advice of Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. It's not religion that gets you to heaven. It's a relationship. A relationship with the one and only Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the sovereign God of the universe. Have that conversation with him right now and you will be saved. All right, well, let's close with music in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Peter exhorts, Divinely loved ones, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeals among you. And what he was talking about was Rome was burning at the time. Which things come upon you for your testing? As though some strange thing were happening to you. 1 Peter four thirteen. But to the degree that you participate in suffering for Christ's sake, keep on rejoicing. Consider yourself blessed so that at the revelation of his glory, you believers in Christ may rejoice with exultation. Or as James would put it, and as June Murphy would sing it, count it all joy. Testing of your faith is worthwhile. You can produce any patience when your God's obedient child. When you fall into various trials, count it Um
know what I'm saying? <laughs> Takes oxygen to sing those songs, don't it? A doxology of praise to our God. Let's close with words of worship for our Almighty God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Worthy of praise is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us believers in Christ in eternity past with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, a place of permanence through our union with Christ. God wants us to enjoy his gracious provisions. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. In Jesus we have redemption, delivery from slavery to sin, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the glorious wealth provided by his grace, which he lavished on us, including as a gift, wisdom and insight. Ephesians three twenty. not of the God and Father, who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or imagine, more than is humanly possible, according to the divine power omnipotence that works within us. Ephesians 3.21 To him be the glory through the church age believers in union with Christ Jesus and to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we thank you for this week, for the pummeling we took this week, for the great job that you did through us last weekend at the non-resident congregation homecoming. And it's always a pleasure for us to take a beating on your behalf because a slave is not greater than his master, and if they tortured you and beat you, they will beat us too. But we know with absolute confidence that our tribulations produce perseverance, and perseverance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. And the hope of the Greek language is absolute confidence in a secure and amazing future that was orchestrated by your Son. Father, keep on pouring the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Keep on producing the fruit of the Spirit in us. Let us be excellent reflections of you. Let us master the challenges that you set before us. Let us recognize with our spiritual eyes the steps that you have ordered for our path and let us enjoy this life one day at a time, one breath at a time. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Say it with me. Amen. 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 Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.